Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I am always so happy to be here with so many great women that are studying the Word of God together. Thank you for being here. You know, I think I've shared before that in a past life, decades ago, I was a labor and delivery nurse, and I truly loved every single thing about it. But one of the wondrous, wonderful things I still remember about the joy of being part of labor and delivery was taking that newborn baby straight out of the womb from the doctor's hand. He would hand it off to the nurse that was in the room, and you would take that little guy or gal and dry off their face. And then they would open their eyes for the very first time. And oh my goodness, it was the most wonderful thing. I just always wish they could tell us what they were thinking when they looked around and thought, oh my goodness, uh, what have I gotten myself into here? Um, now, newborns don't have great vision at birth, but they do in those first few moments have their first real glimpse of the world that's going to be theirs for hopefully years to come. And you know what? It's funny. We all always think of newborns as just crying right after they're born. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're pretty calm after you dry them off initially. And they just blink and stare at you. And then you hand them off to mama and they... Um, they haven't seen her face before, but they've heard her voice, and they know this is the gal I have been looking for right here. Um, in those first few moments, God has just opened their eyes to the wonders of both light and love. That's what they see in those first few moments, light and love. And today, we have the privilege of being with our psalmist, who has his eyes wide open to the light and love that is God's word. And he's gonna share that light and love with us uh, as we look at and have our eyes open to the wisdom of Psalm 119. Now we're gonna begin with the first 24 verses of Psalm 119, but before we look at those verses, I wanna just talk a little bit about Psalm 119 as a whole. It's actually the longest Psalm in the Bible. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, every time we have studied psalms together in the past, we've left out Psalm 119 because it's just too long to study uh, in one lesson. It's too much to cover. But this semester, we have a plan. We have figured it out. We're going to look at Psalm 119 in sections. So today, we're going to look at those first 24 verses. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at 24 more. And we are going to finish up in March with another 24. So we are going to look at the first 72 verses of Psalm 119 together this spring. And then hopefully we'll return to Psalms sometime in the future and we will finish up that great Psalm together. Now Psalm 119 was actually written by an unknown author, an unknown Psalmist. Although if you read much about Psalm 119, everybody kind of has their own guess and theory, but they can't verify it. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon is totally convinced, was totally convinced that Psalm 119 was written by David. And he wrote a great commentary on Psalm 
Psalm 119. The reason he felt like that is there's some similarities between Psalm 19 that was written by David and Psalm 119. So you might want to go back later and look at Psalm 19 and see what you think. Theologian Warren Wiersbe thinks that Psalm 119 was actually written by Jeremiah because Jeremiah was God's prophet who loved God's word. But this is what we do know. These are all guesses. Nobody really knows. Nobody claimed Psalm 119. The author of Psalm 119 is something we're going to all find out when we step into heaven and begin to ask around. Uh, Now, besides being the longest psalm in the Bible, 119 is written uh, in a style that's called, called an acrostic poem. It's an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, every group of eight verses throughout the psalm each begin with the first letter of a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses that we look at today, and some of your Bibles may have the superscript that tells the Hebrew alphabet letter that they're talking about there. The first eight verses is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. The next eight verses is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beth. The third eight verses is Gimel. Um, Of course, we don't see that alliteration in our English translation. A few years ago, we took a teaching team to Africa, and one of our great teachers composed an outline that was just a fabulous teaching tool, and it was alliteration, and I believe that every point on her outline started with a W. It was so easy to remember. Um, And then we saw it in the Swahili translation. It wasn't an alliteration when you translated it to Swahili. It was still a great outline, but there was no alliteration. And that's exactly what happens when you translate the Hebrew of 119 into English. All we can see in English is 22 groupings of eight verses each. Now, when Deb talked to us uh, the first week, she talked about the genre of Psalms. The, The genre of Psalm 119 is wisdom. But this is a long psalm, and in the middle of our wisdom psalm here, we're gonna see some other genres. Occasionally, you see lament. You might see thanksgiving or praise in this incredible psalm. And actually, I think the best way to describe Psalm 119 is as an anthology a collection of thoughts and prayers about the amazing Word of God. And one of the most interesting things to me about Psalm 119 as a whole is that it contains a reference to God's Word in almost every single verse. 171 verses of the 176 verses in the psalm have a reference to God's Word. Our unknown author uh, uses different synonyms for God's word. Uh, He uses 10 different synonyms, actually. Um, Those synonyms include law, which is probably the most used. I think it's used 23 times. He uses testimony, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, way, path. But we don't have to be concerned as we study Psalm 119 that this psalm teaches worshiping God's word rather than God himself because our psalmist very obviously relates the beauty and the blessing and the power of God's word to the author himself. He never separates throughout this whole psalm God's word from God himself. 
Now, the true theme of Psalm 119 is the value, use, and practical application of God's Word in all of our lives. It is a truly valuable psalm that will be a roadmap in our lives. And when you read this psalm, you recognize, if you read it through a few times, you really understand how remarkable the psalmist's love for God's wisdom and truth through his word really is. He has a deep love and a true hunger for God's word, and it shows in every single verse of this psalm. Our prayer, as we look together at Psalm 119 today, it can be for the exact same thing. We can pray every single day for God to also give us that deep love, that true hunger for his word. So let's take a look at Psalm 119. Open your Bibles there with me, and let's look at verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You know, our psalmist really kind of starts out with a bang here in his first three verses because he begins with a life-defining truth. And that truth is God's blessings in this life come through obedience to God's word. God's blessings in this life don't come to us because we follow the culture. They don't come to us from being popular or wealthy or having the right name, address, or job. God-given blessings in our world come to us when we line up the path of our life with the truth of God's word. I don't know how many of you have that laser level that you use to hang pictures with. My husband has one, and you put it on the wall, and it shoots a laser line down the wall, and then you can hang every single picture exactly perfect on your wall. That's exactly what God's Word is to our lives. It's a laser level, and our psalmist says all of that here in these first three verses. He says we're blessed when we follow God's precepts and testimonies, we are blessed when we choose right over wrong, righteousness over sin. But he gives us uh, some great insight in verse 2, that our obedience is not just legalistic following of the rules that we call obedience. It's not a checklist in exchange for God's blessing. We, we don't just say, I'm not a liar, check I uh, go to church, check. I've kept my marriage vows, check. And then go to the window and hand it in and get God's blessings back. Um, In verse 2, he links obedience, uh, keeping God's testimonies, to seeking God with our whole hearts. His insight, great insight, is that the blessings of obedience come to us when the one who wrote the scriptures who gave us his precepts, is just as precious to us as the scriptures himself. When the list maker means more to us than the list. When we understand that truth, it really opens our eyes to the real blessing of obedience. The greatest blessing of obedience is not being a list uh, checker. The greatest blessing of obedience comes when it leads us into a deeper relationship with the God who penned the precepts, who spoke the commands, who wrote the law. When we seek God with our whole heart, like the psalmist tells us here, while we pursue obedience to his precepts, 
You know what happens? His precepts become real valuable truth to us, not just rules. His law becomes an expression of his character. We see who he is and why he wants us to walk that path. And walking in his ways doesn't become a chore anymore. We're not dragging this bag of rules with us. Walking in his ways becomes a privilege, a privilege that we're excited about. The psalmist message, that's our psalmist message here. And just the first three verses of Psalm 119, there's a beautiful meshing of hearts he wants us to understand when we walk in God's ways. We see his heart fully and he certainly sees ours. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13 on your verse sheet. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, let's look at verse four together. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. You know, the light bulb really is on for our psalmist. Uh, He gets it that our lives are blessed through obedience to God's word. And you know what that leads him to? It leads him to want more obedience. It leads him to walk even faster down the path of God's truth. Um, And that's a shout out to God here as he calls out in verse five um, that his ways may be steadfast in keeping his statutes. The more he obeys, the more he calls out for God to help him obey. Someone shared with me a while back that there was a time in their life when they were coloring outside the lines uh, pretty significantly and their life was a disaster. But fortunately, God stepped in and they repented and began to follow life and it was great. The reason they were telling me this was because they had had a dream that they were back in that time of their life, far from God, not doing not doing um, what God would want them to do. And she told me she woke up in a cold sweat um, and then she fortunately realized it was a dream. But what, she, what her feeling was when she realized that this was a dream, she realized that walking in obedience to God was giving her so much joy that it was fueling her life. It was the joy of obedience now that was fueling her life. And that's what the psalmist experiences here in these verses as well. The realities of obedience, living life God's way, don't make him rebellious or angry um, or even tired. It makes him want more of God's precepts that he can follow. In fact, that's why he calls out for this steadfast obedience in verse five. And you know, steadfast means unwavering, a firm, resolute, unwavering. So he doesn't want this to be a casual obedience in his life. He wants it to be firm and resolute, one that he doesn't mistake God doesn't mistake, and the people around him don't mistake either. Now, he uses the word in verse 6, he uses the word shame. Now, the definition of shame um, is a painful feeling of humiliation caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And if you talk to counselors very much, you know that shame, even after repentance and life change, is a feeling that is hard for most of us to overcome. For some reason, shame is like this stain on our soul that's 
difficult to be free of apart from God's forgiveness. And our psalmist understands that shame is not something that he ever wants to open the door to in his life. And he gives us the key to shame, avoiding shame right here. And that is being diligent and steadfast in keeping God's word. If we want to be free from shame in life, be diligent steadfast in keeping God's word. Now, diligence gives us the picture here of a careful, committed obedience. If you're diligent in keeping God's word, it is not an accident. It is not something um, that just happened in your life. You worked at it carefully. You worked at it carefully. I kept um, three of my grands about a week and a half ago And it required a diligence that I had uh, kind of forgotten about. God bless all you moms out there. Um, I had forgotten all that it took to get them out the door to school every day. It was definitely diligent. I had to be diligent with the homework. I had to figure out what homework, what did I sign it? Did I initial this? Did I get it back in the right homework? And then making lunches. You know, there's a list today. I used to just slap a sandwich in a bag of chips in a lunch. Well, now there's all this, you know, what you can and you can't. So I had to be diligent about um, lunch. And then uniforms. You'd think uniforms would be easy. Don't make that mistake. Uniform, you have to have the right shoes, the right jacket, the right Yeah, is it dress uniform day or t-shirt uniform day? And then um, I had to be diligent in dropping off and picking up. Um, I was so afraid I would forget them in the afternoon that I set set two alarms on my phone, the one to give me time to get ready, and yeah, but I didn't forget them. I got them home every day. So keeping God's precepts doesn't happen haphazardly either. Our psalmist shares with us that it requires diligence, and he actually prays for that here. He prays for steadfast commitment. But he also shares a third thing that it requires. It requires that we keep our eyes fixed on God's truth fixed on God's truth. Living life by God's truth means that we have to pay attention to what we're looking at. What are we fixing our eyes on? What's on our screens, our books, our blogs, TV shows, movies? I saw a commercial just yesterday where they asked this little girl to imitate her mom, and this is what she did immediately when they asked her. It was a... uh, It was a selfie. She immediately, that was how she imitated her mom. So what are we fixing our eyes on? Is it ourselves on Instagram? Last August, I went for a walk with um, my new puppy, cutest puppy ever, and I had um, my eyes fixed on that puppy instead of the sidewalk that I was walking on as it was getting dark. And um, I think some of you saw me with that cast on in the fall. The result was a broken arm. I clearly had my eyes fixed on the wrong thing. Our psalmist understands how important what we fix our eyes is. Um, That's what will keep us out of trouble, uh, free from shame, and taking the right path. Look at Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, look at verse 7 with me here in this first eight verses. I will praise you with an upright heart 
when I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You know, the more God teaches our psalmist from his word, the more our psalmist adores his teacher. And he longs to be never be out of his uh, presence, never left or forsaken. I don't know how many of you had a favorite teacher when you were young, but you do want to be with that teacher. You hate it when you're promoted the next year and are away from them. Our psalmist wants to make sure that he is never out of the presence of his teacher. A deeper understanding of God's word leads him and will lead us to praise and adoration of God himself. And that's exactly what these final two verses here show us. Understanding God's word leads us to praise the word of God and adore God himself. Now, I hope your reaction to these first eight verses is the same as mine. I want to be like that newborn. Uh, We saw earlier with his eyes open to light, and to love. My prayer is that God will open each of our eyes to the blessings of obedience and that we'll be women that pray for a heart of obedience to God's word constantly. Okay, let's look at that second set of uh, verses. Uh, Look at verse 9 with me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. You know, we're not sure from this psalm whether the psalmist is looking back on his own life as a young man and acknowledging that he could have walked a better life, uh, a better path, or whether he's an older man now and he is simply looking around at the culture around him and seeing young men and their missteps and their mistakes. But the truth is the same that he shares with us here. In these verses on purity, the path to purity is paved with the truth of God's word. And the Hebrew word for purity here means to be innocent, clear, perfectly 100% clean. When my boys were little, I would wait for them to be playing, occupied with something in the backyard, and then I would lock the back door and get the mop out and begin to mop that sticky, grimy, awful floor. Um, And it would be so clean and so fresh for about 30 seconds until I had to unlock the back door and let them all back in again. But, you know, our psalmist's wisdom here is we don't have to do that with our heart, do we? A clean, innocent heart can be continually and constantly guarded by God's truth. God's truth is going to be the lock that never has to be unlocked on the door of our hearts. And keeping our heart guarded by God's truth protects us, truly protects us from the filth and everything unclean that swirls in the culture around us every day. In fact, when our hearts are the storehouse for God's word, which is what he shares with us here, there's no room for sin to move in. If we fill up our hearts with God's word, there's truly no room for anything else. And what he's talking about here is internalizing God's word, hiding it in our hearts is his phrase, one of my favorite phrases in the scripture. Um, when we internalize God's word, what happens? We have understanding and truth that really does protect us from sin. It really does. In verse 10, we see the psalmist 
say one more time, with my whole heart, I seek you. We just looked at that a few minutes ago. Here, when he uses that phrase, he's highlighting that a life of purity and a heart filled with God's word is not something that happens apart from our relationship with God. I mean, we could take the local atheist or Buddhist and have them memorize the Bible, and if that's all they did, apart from a relationship with God, it probably wouldn't protect their hearts, although it might be a start, wouldn't it? Theologian Warren Wiersbe sums up what the psalmist is actually saying here with these great words. If our hearts are seeking God, our feet will not leave God. I love that. If our hearts are seeking God, our feet will not leave God. Our psalmist finishes his thoughts on purity here by calling out to God in verse 12. And it shows us an important trait that's going to contribute to purity. It's going to contribute to a life free from sin. And that trait is he's teachable. He's teachable. He boldly and clears out, clearly calls out to God in verse 12 for instruction in his word. He says, oh Lord, teach me your statutes. I can only imagine that that is a prayer that God loves to hear. Can you imagine how that makes God smile when we call out those words to God? Teach me your word. And I think he loves to answer it even more in the lives of his people. A teachable heart. This is something I find interesting. A teachable heart is most often evident in our prayer life. And I um, realized this, it will confess it about myself this week when I was thinking about this, because I had been praying about a circumstance in my life. And what I discovered is I wasn't praying for God to teach me. I was praying for him to change all those other people. And um, it was such a thought for me to stop and think, wait a minute, I need to be teachable here. I need to pray for God to teach me in this situation. A teachable heart is always evident in our prayers. Okay, let's finish these verses right here. Look at um, verse 13 with me. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You know, his action words in these um, verses characterize his relationship with God's truth. It gives us this picture of our psalmist um, constantly interacting with God's word of truth in some fashion. He's declaring it. He's delighting in it. He's meditating on it. When he's speaking to someone, he's not just speaking in a casual way, is he? To declare means to proclaim, to announce, to be emphatic. Um, he proclaims God's truth when he speaks it in an emphatic man's, uh, manner. And that is a great example for us. We don't have to apologize for God's truth. Whenever we're speaking God's truth from his word to other people, we can follow the psalmist ex example and be emphatic about it, declare it 
declare it, proclaim it. He also delights in God's truth here as much as in all riches, all riches, not just some riches, not just $1.50, not just next year's paycheck, all riches. There's a HGTV show called My Lottery Dream Home, and the clips of the show, just the clips are so funny. It's people holding these big, giant checks. Have you seen that? And it has, um, it has the amount of millions of dollars, whatever it is, they've won. And all the people, I mean, they are the most ecstatic people. They're all high-fiving, and they're dancing around with these big checks. Um, they're totally enjoying their wealth and riches. Uh, but our psalmist gives us a picture that he can outdo all that because his love of God's word, his delight in God's word is more than in all riches. He, um, I think, does the ultimate happy dance with God's word. Uh, he's, it brings him joy and gladness and the Hebrew word for uh, delight here means extreme joy and gladness. And finally, we see that as long as, as, even though he's declaring and delighting, the other thing he's doing is he is meditating. In other words, he's pondering it in a serious way. That word meditate um, really means to handle, to turn over something. It's a picture of taking the Word of God and looking at it from all angles. Uh, we talked in the small group leaders meeting. It's a little bit about taking the meat for tonight's dinner and marinating it, and you let it sit and soak, and then you turn it over. Um, this Hebrew word for meditate here even has the connotation of prayer. Our psalmist doesn't just think about God's word and turn it over and consider it. He has a conversation with God about God's word. And you know, there's so many times that we run across scriptures that we don't understand. The psalmist example for all of us here is we shouldn't just dismiss those scriptures or run to Doug Cecil or Cody to have them explain them to us. The psalmist example is that we should meditate on those scriptures and ponder them seriously and go to God and ask God to reveal to us um, what the truth in those scriptures are. And sometimes he gives us the greatest answer and sometimes he'll send us to a resource or of reference. Um, it, it's a great opportunity for us to go to God with all of our questions about his word. He's the one that can answer them. Now in verse 15, our psalmist talks again about fixing his eyes on God's truth. That's a phrase we talked about a few minutes ago, too. Um, you know, uh, the lunar eclipse uh, and the blood moon, I don't know how many of you stayed up and watched that lunar eclipse. It was amazing. That was during the week that I had all those grandchildren at my house, and there didn't happen to be school the next day. So my husband got out the binoculars, and I got out the blankets and the jackets, and we all went outside in the backyard, and we fixed our eyes on that spectacular sight. And, you know, at first, the kiddos were like, why are we doing this, standing out here in the dark, in the cold, 
staring at the moon. We have seen the moon before. But then gradually, the more we insisted that they stand there and watch, they begin to see that shadow move over the moon, and they begin to understand what was really happening here. Fixing their eyes on the lunar eclipse led them to delight and understanding. They were still talking about it a couple of days later about how amazing it was. Our psalmist gives us that same picture here, fixing our eyes on God's truth while we meditate uh, on God's truth will give us delight and understanding. We just have to keep looking at it uh, until we understand what God's meaning really is. Now, our psalmist begins these eight verses with a thought that's Pretty counterculture in our world, isn't it? He's talking about purity and living a pure life. Um, the closest our culture comes to being concerned about purity uh, today, I think, is in our food. You know, everybody talks about our food supply, about organic and clean eating and no pesticides and no genetic engineering. But his focus is not on what goes in our stomachs. But what we put in our hearts, how we fill our minds, what we fix our eyes on, those are the things that will guide us into a life of purity. Our psalmist's eyes are open to the need for purity in life, and I want our eyes to be open to that as well. Let's be women who pray for pure hearts that come from keeping God's word constantly before us. Okay, let's look at our final eight verses here. Look at verse 17 with me. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments for me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You know, throughout most of this psalm, but certainly in these eight verses here, our psalmist is speaking directly to God. And he prays for something that um, when I began studying this psalm last fall, that I began praying for all of us at Women in the Word. I began to pray, just like he does, that our eyes would be open that we might behold wonderful things out of God's law. One theologian that I read said that verse 18, those words is a prayer that all God's people need to pray every single day. And I would say amen to that. Other than salvation, there is no more wonderful gift in our lives than God's written word. The newborn that we saw earlier um, encountered a world that he had no idea existed until that moment that he opened his eyes. He had been in perfect darkness uh, up until then. Our psalmist understands a similar truth about God's word. There is so much in here that we don't even know exists. You know, no matter how much you study it, read it, meditate on it, 
There's always more to see. There's always more to learn about God and how to live life God's way. Deb Haygood and I were working, I think it was on Exodus, um, a few months ago, and both of us had studied it and taught it before, and we came across something. We were like, have you ever seen this in Exodus before? And she was like, no, I've never seen that before. I mean, it was pretty amazing the amount of time you can spend in the Scriptures and then still discover something new every single time you open it up. More truth, more insight, more wonder. God can illuminate hearts and minds to wonderful truth in his word. The psalmist asked God for that, and we can do the same thing. Now, in verse 19, um, the psalmist shares with God the reason that he's asking to have his eyes opened and to have greater understanding. He's asking because he calls himself here a sojourner on the earth. And that word in the Hebrew means a stranger or a foreigner. And I love how the message translates this verse. It says, I am a stranger in these parts. Give me clear direction. That's who we are, and that's what the psalmist feels like. You know, as God's people, we were created to live in eternity in heaven with him forever. But for now, as we walk on this earth, we are strangers in this world as believers. Our psalmist wants a map, doesn't he? He wants an app on his phone. He wants a guidebook that will help him as a stranger in this world. And he knows exactly what that looks like. It looks like God's word. You know, Jesus prayed that we would have that guidebook. Look at John 17 with me on your verse sheet. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus wanted that guidebook for us. He wanted the truth of God's word, which was going to be what changed our hearts and minds in this world. And look what Paul says about the guidebook that the psalmist is asking for in 2 Timothy all scripture is God breathed, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. As strangers in this world, God's word is our guide, our best guide, our true guide, and our psalmist does not want to leave home without it. Now, he also reveals in these last eight verses that he has a huge appetite for God's truth in verse 20. You know, he doesn't simply, it's not just a habit to him or a checklist or he gets out God's word when it's challenging. His expression, consumed with longing, gives us the idea that his appetite for God's truth is never satisfied. No matter how much God's truth he knows, he always wants more. He hungers for truth, and is thirsty for God's word. Look what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8 about God's truth. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's God's truth that truly fills us up, that blesses us, that satisfies us. Look what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, there's nothing more righteous or that leads us into a righteous life than living according to God's truth. We should all be hungry 
for God's truth that lead us to righteousness. But our psalmist also shares with us that even though he hungers and thirsts for God's word of life, that hungers and thirsts for God's truth is not necessarily one that's free from trials, is it? Verses 22 and 23 here reminded me of the words I used to say to my kids, which was stranger danger. But in this case, it reminded me we're the strangers and there is some danger out there. As a stranger in this world, an appetite for God's truth is not always going to win us friends, is it? Our psalmist talks to God in these verses about the persecution that he's seeing as a follower of God's word. It says he's enduring scorn, contempt, and plots on his life as a result of living life God's way. You know, in the last week, many of you may have seen in the news a group of high school boys who were participating for the March for Life in Washington, D.C. What they were doing was simply standing up for God's truth of the sanctity of human life. Um, But what standing up for God's precepts got them was the same thing the psalmist is talking about here. It got them scorn and contempt and plots against them. We can take the psalmist's words here uh, written centuries ago as just a warning and a reminder that keeping God's precepts and living by God's truth, even though it brings God's blessings, is always going to draw the wrath of those who hate it. We learn three things from him in this final section about God's truth and those who hate it. The first one is, it is going to cause people to rise up against us. Don't be taken by surprise with that. The second is that when people do rise up against you, where does he go? He goes back to God's word. That's what it says. Um, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. The third thing he teaches us um, after sharing about his persecution is that he still delights in God's counsel because he knows that it is to the word of God that you go in your hardest times. There's always going to be opposition to those who live life guided and guarded by God's word. But God's word is never going to fail to give us truth and wise counsel that we are going to need when we face opposition. God's word gives us wise counsel in the hardest of times. Now, I hope these 24 verses have motivated you as much as they've motivated me. I want us to be women who call out to God to have our eyes open to the wonder of God's word, open to the blessings of obedience to God's word and the purity that comes to us when we live life God's way. I want that same huge appetite for God's word that the psalmist has for God's truth, don't you? Pray with me this week. Pray with me this week that God will give all of us a longing, a hunger, and a thirst for God's word that's greater than we've ever had before. And his word will bring us wisdom and truth in all circumstances. Look at Isaiah 48 on your verse sheet. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand together. Stand forever. Pray with me. Father, you are a gracious and good God. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for the wisdom it gives us. Thank you that it guides our life. Thank you for the blessings of obedience and for the purity that comes when we follow your word. 
Um, I thank you for these women, and I pray and ask that you would open our eyes to the wonderful truths that are in your word. I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, ladies.